welcome to the next episode of the Memories of Comfort Bees podcast with me, Martin Coleman. And I've been lucky enough to catch up with some legends of the club so far in the first 10 episodes. And in this one, we catch up with another legend, a guy who moved to the club in the winter of 2004 and went on to be one of the most decorated captains that we've seen in the last 20 years at Brandon. And I'm delighted to be joined by seven-time British champion and two-time Elite League captain winner, Scott Nichols. Scott, how are you keeping? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, good. That's uh, quite an intro there. It's Yeah, thanks. <laughs> just a, just a memory of the time you had at the club, mate. Um, how's uh, how have you sort of found the first couple of weeks of the, the rain delayed season? I know you've been on the track uh, once or twice, but how are things going so far? Rain delayed. <laughs> it's, uh, I think uh, I, I was really fortunate to pick up guest booking at Berwick, um, but I think of my, I think six scheduled meetings, one has gone ahead. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you, you couldn't script it, could you? First, it's like COVID stamps on the season, and and then now the weather's not playing ball. But fingers crossed, the weather's turning, and um, we can uh, get in a bit of a rhythm. That's a thing. It's kind of nice just to have those meetings come in regular, ticking over. That'll be that'll be nice when that finally starts to happen. Uh, I saw you picked up that guest book. In tell me you stayed up there at least and didn't travel back from Glasgow because obviously down at Brighton, that's a that's a good old trip anyway, isn't it? Oh God. Yeah, it just, I think uh, the plans were scuppered a little bit because originally I was supposed to be at Sheffield on Thursday. Um, so the plan was to stay over there, do the bikes there Friday morning and then head up to Glasgow. Obviously, Sheffield was called off. So uh, I went partway. I went up to Leicester. The guy that was helping me was uh, in Leicester. So I went up to Leicester on Thursday night anyway because to do that in one hit from Brighton is just ridiculous. Mm. Um so, yes, yeah, so I went up, did uh, Glasgow on the Friday for Kent. Um, you know, that, that was good. I mean, it was uh, it was tough. I mean, they had a lot of rain. The, the track, you know, held up really, really well considering the amount of rain they'd had. But it was difficult, I think, you know, for the first time to the tapes in over a year and a half, I was just wanting a nice, hard, smooth, slick track. But it was the polar <laughs> opposite. Um, <laughs> so I was a bit like, oh, God. Uh, but you know what? It's good. It was good to get it out of the way. Um, I don't mean out of the way. I mean, just you know, get those nerves out of the way and, and stuff like that. But I was pretty stiff and tense and uh, it didn't go to plan for Kent. We obviously lost Tom Bacon in the first race and Glasgow strong. Um, but you know what? It, it went. We, we got to heat 11 and the track was starting to get pretty dangerous. And given the fact that probably 98% of the field had literally, that was probably their first meeting as well. It was a wise call to to call off. So fortunately, I was already up in the, the Scotland region. So uh, I stayed up. I went and stayed over with Aaron Summers, a former commentary rider as well. Um, and did my bikes there Saturday and, and picked up a guest booking, riding alongside another former commentary rider, Bomber Harris. So it was um, it was nice. It was uh, certainly made the, the trip a little bit more beneficial to go all that way and pick up two meetings. It was uh, quite a handy little number. And a track record to boot. I know it's early in the season, but that must have felt nice to, uh, to set a good time around the, around the Glasgow track. Yeah, well, it feels nice in terms of getting the track record, which I was totally unaware I had because I really did not feel nice on the bike. It's <laughs> safe to say I was pretty rusty, pretty nervous, pretty stiff, um, but obviously quick. So um, I'll take it, mate. And if it stays for a little while, then happy days. Um be nice to see an old man's name in the under the track record. So I'll um, <laughs> I'll take that one. Yeah, uh, we were uh, we were planning to go to to Sheffield last week when I got called off, directed and and changed, and went to Ipswich and, and watched them against Bellevue, which was just nice to see fifteen heats of speedway for a long people. It's been a a long time, and and part of this podcast 
is to, to bring back some great memories of your time at the club because Coventry fans have have now been starved of action for, for a while, Scott. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and cast that that old mind back a few years. So end of 2004, yeah. and uh, and you've just finished another uh, season with your hometown club Ipswich. You've had some great times there, including a you know a, an all all star team back in the late 90s, which we'll talk, we'll touch on a bit later, but. Uh, your name sort of came out of nowhere in terms of the, the B signing you as a as an out and out number one. What what can you remind me or, or what can you tell me about the sort of how it first came about that you you might move to Coventry? Um, well, I'd yeah, I'd been at Ipswich sort of on and off for pretty much most of my career. I'd had you know the, the spell for a couple of years at Paul, um, you know, and and I was then starting to kind of try and find my feet in the Grand Prix. And I felt I needed to have another change of scene again and, and wanted to make another step in my career. Um, I just, that was my testimonial year at Ipswich that year as well. Um, and Alan Ham, um, who was former Bradford promoter, was, was my main sponsor in the Grand Prix. Um, and was sort of quite helpful with certain aspects. And, and he was sort of part of the, um, the process of going to Coventry. He's obviously Colin Pratt was at, at Coventry and he had been former team manager at Bradford. So obviously, you know, him and Alan went back a long way um, and they had had a chat. And uh, yeah, that, that was sort of, um, I didn't have an awful lot to do with the deal, to be fair. Um, Alan kind of spoke to Colin for me and, and you know, Colin was interested and Colin, somebody I've, I've you know, known for a, quite a long time prior to that and, and had an awful lot of respect for. And that was it. So the the deal was um, spoken. Obviously, I was involved with the deal, and obviously with Sandu being there as well, another guy who was um, hugely influential at the club, but a guy that I think did a fantastic job of, of taking Coventry to another era because Coventry already had a fantastic name and reputation with the Ocketries. And uh, so yeah, it was um, it was a move I was was excited about. It, definitely, it was like I said, it was going to be another step in my career. And going to a club that had a, a rich history was uh, something that excited me. And and I remember when you were we were announced, it was sort of you know Scott had come in as the the, the main number one, uh, and the side that were put together that year included uh, you know Rory and Bomber. But when you when you was announced, I know there's a, a bit of a buzz go around the around the terraces because you like you say you'd making your name in the Grand Prix, um, you know year on year you'd been showing that that good steady improvement and. Uh, uh, the Brandon track you'd had some some really good meetings at in your time as sort of with Ipswich and with Paul and it, it must have been a place that you were looking forward to getting to with your home track. It was, um, yeah, I remember I rode the old track as well. Um, fortunately, before they made the alterations, and it was it was a track. You know, to be fair, I suppose like most riders uh, when they're young in their careers, I'd, I'd had some, you know, I'd had some ups and downs at Coventry, but it was a track that I always liked. A track that I always knew was prepared well, and and it's not always it's not for me personally. It's not always just about the track, and it's certainly not just about money. It's it's a whole package, and and I think you know, going to Coventry, it was uh, I was excited about the track, and I knew that it would be well prepared. I knew that I'd have, you know, that there would be track staff and a promoter and and team manager and and stuff like that 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 we could work with, um, and I think that that showed through. Uh, I think that was a big part of you know the the successful times we had at, or I had at Coventry, sorry, I think that was um, highlighted and I think that came came through definitely. Yeah. You, you touched on uh, Pratty and, and obviously Sandu and another guy that was involved with the club uh, who joined literally just before you did was Peter Oakes, who, who did uh, a fair bit of the team managing. What what sort of memories have you got working with Peter? 
Yeah, Peter is. Um, I, I go a long way back with Peter. He was, he was promoter at uh, Peterborough, which was the first year I made my professional debut in '94, and he was there. So um, I'd already kind of had an experience of Peter and the way he worked, and I, I think they worked well together. You know, um, Peter was much more. He would work not not as so much psychological aspect, but he was kind of a bit more of a, a gentle character. Um, he perhaps under not I wouldn't understand from a rider's perspective, but he was kind of a bit more. He would chat and, and probably go down more of a the psychological route and, and kind of be quite sort of positive about things and, and and do things in a different way. And Colin was polar opposite. Colin is just says it how it is, and and which I respect. But I think that that worked as well. I think they they both bounced off each other. Um, you know, and obviously I was still, Peter's still around now. He still goes to Peterborough quite regular and I, I speak to Peter fairly regular as well. So it's strange, you know, that it was all those years back. Um, but it's, you know, the, the memories are still there and then the connections. I think that's, that's what's pretty cool about not just being part of Coventry. I think that's what's quite special about Speedway as a whole. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And, as a first year in club colours, um, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll delve into it a little bit more shortly. But for yourself personally, over ten point average, um, I think it was forty out of forty nine matches, Scott, that you hit double figures. Um, so anybody expecting you to come in and be the out and out number one, um, you, you kind of delivered on that point. I'd be cool if I could repeat that now, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, and um, obviously there was a pressure and expectation on me to do it, and. And at that point, I was, I was riding good and, and felt good of myself. Um, I didn't know that statistic. So, um, you know, when you read that out, it's, it's something that, you know, makes me sort of sit here listening to it and feel quite proud. You know, that's a, that is a pretty strong achievement. I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but obviously back then as well, the league was was much, much stronger than it is now. I mean, when yeah. you look at the calibre of riders, I mean, you look at, you know, the, the top three heat leaders back then. I mean, man alive, if... If I was to roll up to a team now and as equivalent heat leaders, I'd be thinking, geez, I've got my work cut out. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was good, you know. It just goes to show that the pressure and the right people around you and you can apply that pressure in the right ways can deliver the results. And and the the actual season for the club, although although you started off really well uh, with your scores, the, the club started off pretty poorly. The first sort of six, seven matches wasn't great. But a, a change to the, to the side midway through the season and... Uh, I caught up with um, with Rory and Bomber about this before, and it just seemed to click when when the club brought in um, a certain American guy back to the club, Billy Janeiro, who I know you've got a lot of time for, um, and Sebastian Ulamek and, and Jonas Karmakorpi, who both sort of decent sort of second string stroke low heat leader riders, but both very professional in their outlook. Oh yeah, and I think it just you know when you when you look at situations like that, and it. it you know, I've been fortunate to be involved with other teams in a similar scenario, but and there'll be many other riders have been in the same situation where, you know, on paper it doesn't always look like the strongest team, um, but but you know, you used the word clicked and it it did. You know, something sometimes just clicks and and the riders click as a unit on and off the track, and that's important. You know, you have a bit of banter in the pits and in the changing rooms, and you build up that team spirit, and then it works and it shows on the track. Um, you know, me and Billy, when we were at one and two, I mean, yeah, I have an awful lot of respect for Billy. I, I really liked him as a person, but as a rider, I mean, you know, the amount of five ones we got and, you know, it's team riding is an art and it's, 
it's something that can be easy to do, but it's easy to do if you've got a teammate who can team ride as well. Um, and, and the amount of times with Billy, we we would switch lines on the track just instinctively. We didn't look at each other. We didn't even point. We just kind of knew where you could read each other and, and see where one was going and you just swap lines. And, you know, that, that doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's, it, it's obviously cool for the fans to see. But from a rider's point of view, there's nothing better than, you know, racing to a 5-1 with your teammate and, and working as a unit. And especially if you have to work tight to hold a, you know, a, a class rider behind you. Um, that's pretty cool. And like I said, I think that all showed through. I think everybody clicked. Um, you know, Jonas and Sebastian, you know, both professional riders. And yeah, from, from then on, it was, uh, we were pretty unstoppable. And, and unstoppable was probably the, the right word because we, we rocked up to, to Bellevue for that second leg. And I remember standing on that second bend, there was what seemed like a couple of thousand bees fans had made the journey up because we, I think we just knew that we were so strong in terms of the, the strength in depth that even though Crumpy quite often had, had gone through the card in the season, he didn't really have much backup to it. And and we tended to, to sort of pick the points that felt the meeting. And although you had a bit of a, a bad first one, you got excluded. And, and I think the, the TV cameras caught you having a bit of a, a Scotty rant. But uh, after that, you went <laughs> unbeaten in the, in the second leg through the final and, and the celebration started from there. They I thought Rory was one that had rants. I thought it was Ruboy. <laughs> he has a wind. He has a wind. Yeah. No, right? Oh, he has a wind. Yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah, no. Oh, God, man, you know, it's uh, excluding your first ride when you know the emphasis on the meeting. Yeah, you're not going to be, I wasn't going to be happy, Bunny, and I, I clearly wasn't. Um, but like you said, we, we, we all dug in. We picked up the points. Um, it, you know, it takes seven men to make a team, not one. And, and we showed that. And, you know, from a rider's point of view, like you said, you just said all those Coventry fans, you know, piling into that first and second bend, that lifts you. And then when you deliver the result that those got, those fans want, uh, that's that's unreal, you know. And you get that buzz, and you know, you you that you know, I remember you guys all coming down to the fence, and you know, we all go around walking, high five, and you know, and shaking your hands, and you can see you can see the joy on the the fans' faces. And from a rider, that feeling stays with you kind of a big chunk of the journey home you know you're kind of on that high um it's, it's quite quite crap really when that feeling goes in a way because it's almost it's a bit like when christmas is over you're like oh okay <laughs> you know what we're we gonna do to replicate that now but at the moment at that time yeah that was that was that was pretty cool and then, like you said that was for me the, the first of um some very successful time with coventry and and as a club, although although Coventry and I know that you know I'm biased when I say it that you know we've always been one of the the biggest clubs in the country. Um, it had been 17 17 years since we'd won the league before that, and although we thought we were going to do it in the mid 90s, but you and your your fabulous Ipswich team rolled that's us over. Um, so it had been a long time coming, and I think that's why the the support sort of really got behind the team, and they could see the team spirit and. And I think we we felt as part of a, as one big club really, and I think that's why um, the, the support was so good uh, around that time. And was it the end of that season that Sandu put the end of season meeting on for you guys as a, as a reward, or was that the the couple of years after? Uh, I think it was that year. Yeah, what was the year when we did the? Tr- do you know what? I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, whichever year it was, I mean, for a promoter to do that, I mean, it was unheard of then, and and I. I'm very confident to say that that ain't going to happen again in my racing career. <laughs> um, you know, that, that was something pretty good. Cool. But that, that summed up Sandu. That was, 
you know, sometimes, you know, when you, when you give stuff, you get a bit more back, you know, it's not just always take, take, take. And the Sandu was, was like that. He, um, yeah, he, he wanted to help and he gave, and, um, that was a, a, an unbelievably kind gesture of him to do that. He didn't have to do it. Um, but yeah, when you do something like that, it kind of instills a bit more faith in, in the riders. It's like, you know, you're your work staff. And as the old saying, a happy worker is a good worker. And if the riders are happy, they're going to put that bit in. And when, when the chips are down and they need that little bit or, or when it's a club needs something off the track, you know, whether it's to help promote the club or if they've got, you know, doing some benefit for, a you know, a children's hospital or something like that, riders are prepared to way more prepared to dig in and stuff like that because they know it's a two-way street. And um, there's a lot of the things like that that, that happen um, behind the scenes that you don't see at the tracks that can make a big difference to what actually happens on the track. And and the end of the, the season came. How, how did you find, I know speedway riders are, are crazy in terms of the amount of time they spend in vans and travelling, but how did you find the sort of a couple of hours to each home meeting rather than the sort of 10, 15 minutes down the road? Uh, you get used to it. Um, I don't mind. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, the couple of seasons or a few seasons out at Bellevue, um, that was four hours plus each yeah. way in the van. But when you're going somewhere you, you, you look forward to going to and it's a track you enjoy and, and people you enjoy being around, then it's just part of it and, and you just get on with it. Um, so it never really was an issue. It's, we, we're used to traveling and I think most riders have a fair distance to travel. I think it's, you know, there's only the, the select few that are fortunate to only have to travel, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour to their home meetings. Most riders do have to travel a little way. Um, but like I said, it's uh, when you're going somewhere you enjoy, then that it's not a chore. It's something you look forward to. Yeah. And and that season on a personal level, Scott, we've mentioned that the, the average and the double figure scores, it was also... Uh, third British title out of seven and also uh, a, a meeting that I, I'm going to go and see one year I'm sure but um, the, the Golden Helmet in Checo you, you won that one what sort of what's that sort of meeting like because it always seems quite um, quite crazy because they have a, a few more riders on the track don't they it, yeah it is it is a really cool meeting it's, it's one of those it's a very prestigious meeting it's, it's had you know it's, it's kind of had that um that kind of air about it that is one that a lot of people want to win. It's, it's unique, you know, it's not very often you get a, you know, a golden helmet. It's something that's a, it's a definitely a keepsake. And when you look at the list of riders that have won it over the years, you know, there's some huge names have won it. Um, and it is just different. Uh, it's a different kind of race format. You have a, like almost like a knockout system first to get to the main event, a bit almost like the old Grand Prix system. And then you've got six riders on a track, um, which it can be a little bit hairy at times, but because the track is so wide and so big, it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you're all congested. Sometimes the first turn's a little bit wallow, um, <laughs> but uh, you know once you get past there, and, it, and it's, it's fun, it's nice. Um, yeah, I remember that meeting. I remember it well. It was, it yeah, it kind of was another one of those things to to put in the in the memory bank for a really cool 2005. I, I passed Nikki to get the win. And, and six laps as well, I think, the final, if I recall correctly. So, um, yeah, it was uh, another another cool medal to put in the cabinet. And so how easy was it to do a deal to return in, in 2006? I'm guessing having had such a successful season and the silverware that went with it, that it was uh, 
it must have been a, an easy decision to make to, to return if the club wanted you, obviously. Oh, no question. I mean, I wanted to be back. There was no doubt about that at all. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed my time there. I uh, had a very successful season there. You know, we've got so many good memories. And no, it was it was pretty straightforward. Um, the club wanted to be back. I wanted to be there. Um, you know, it was, it was straightforward. It's nice when that happens. It's almost you sit down. Yep, yeah, okay, see you next year. Um, happy days. <laughs> Merry Christmas and I'll see you in March. Yeah. Did you normally get your deals done before Christmas or did you have to sort of wait until, as we normally do as a sport, sort of kick ourselves and, and shoot ourselves in the foot by delaying for points limits and that sort of thing? Was it was it pretty much early then? It was. I always like to get my deals done early if I could. Just it's peace of mind. You know where you're at. Um, you can you know talk about sponsorship and, and mentally you just go, OK, I know where I'm at. And like you said, with the travelling and everything else, you kind of, you know, you don't overanalyze or overthink it, but you kind of go, all right you kind of got a bit of an idea of your schedule in your head before the season starts. Um, I always like to get my deal done early. Um, but Pratty was, you know, he was happy to say, yeah, we'll talk, but I'm not talking anything until after the AGM. Um, once the AGM is done and we know the points limit, et cetera, et cetera, then we can, you know, we can talk a deal. Um, you know, that, that I respect him for that. Um, but it was, I mean, once that was done, it was kind of, yes, we'd like you, but we don't know. Um, you know, and he didn't, he didn't want to go back on his word. So, um, that was a sort of a, a, an understanding you had when you dealt with Pratty. Yeah. And and 2006, uh, the, the team, we actually did really well to, to make the end of season playoffs due to the amount of injuries we had. Um, but you did actually make it two seasons in a row with, with Silverware, with the, the team picking up the KO Cup, uh, again, beating Bellevue. And, and another, I guess, if you, you managed to finish in a team with any sort of Silverware, you'd, you'd put it down as a successful season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to win the league. And, Sometimes that, well, clearly it doesn't happen for many because only one one team can win it. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like, right, OK, if we can't win the league, what can we do? Obviously, then you've got the knockout cup and ironically against Bellevue. Um, but, yeah, it was. It was, uh, like you said, we had a, sadly, a pretty injury, savage season, which is never nice. Um, it's never nice to see your teammates getting hurt. And obviously, it dents your, your chances on success. But, um yeah, like you said, if you if you can put some form of silverware in the cabinet, then at least it's a, it's a sign of some constructive work for uh, for all your efforts. And and you had another uh, season in the Grand Prix, which um, uh, you struggled at points, but you, you did actually end up with a, a highlight of making your first rostrum in Lanigo. And uh, what sort of feeling after all the hard work and the and the money that you put in and the travelling and the the testing? What sort of what sort of satisfaction do you get from, from finally stepping up onto a rostrum? Oh, it's just like a huge relief. Um, and it's all, and it's, it's funny you go through the process and it's almost a belief in yourself as well. Um, and you go through those stages and, and, and you can see the riders that have regularly made the finals. If they don't make a final, there's a, you can see the massive disappointment on their face. And then there's the other riders that are striving to make the final. And when they make a final, it's like, oh my God, I've done it. It's almost like climbing Everest and you got there and it's like, oh, done it um so yeah to, to get on the podium was it was was amazing um i think i did it a couple of times at lanigo if i remember correctly i may yeah. not sure but uh yeah uh it was it was just it's it's really hard to explain to people the the difference of the pressures that grand prix deliver um because you're like well it's the same guys you race in the league um you're beating them what, what's the difference but 
you know, the, the level just goes up. Um, the riders just seem to, you know, step up that little bit more, the intensity, the pressures, you know, the, and it's not so much because the cameras are there. It's just there's an expectation because it's a world championship. And, and it's that expectation, that pressure you put on yourself. I mean, if I was to go back in now, if I, you know, if I could wish I knew then what I know now and you know, how you could perhaps try and take a slightly different approach. But, um, yeah, just rewinding a bit to the, the feelings I had when I, when I stood on there on the podium. It's like you get the butterflies, you get the tingles because it's, it's a, a huge first step for you. And, um, and when you get that feeling, you're like, oh, man, I want to do this again. Yeah. And, and you, you nearly made, there was one, um, obviously I'm going to ask you what your, your memories are of Cardiff because whenever you pulled out of Cardiff yourself or Barmay, Eddie Kennett, you know, anyone that pulled on the, the, the GB race jacket when they qualified for Cardiff, the support that you got there, um, you know, was another level. And there was one where you got to the final and, and touched the tapes. And was that purely a case of one second later and you've, you've hit the front and probably wouldn't have got caught? Oh, yeah, it's just... Cardiff is something else. Um, I mean, Cardiff is unique because all of the riders get a huge reception. But it, like you said, there's no question that the British boys get that bit more. Um, and man, it just it gives you goosebumps. Like even when you're doing track walk, this before the stadium's even full. You know, you're doing your your track walk probably an hour and a half before the meeting starts. So, you know, the the stadium's probably only not even half half full at that point. And it's literally is like a, a, a sea of air horns and claps and cheers kind of follow you as you walk around the track. And it's, it is, it's pretty overwhelming really. So, you know, if you imagine that on track walk, so then when you get to the final, you can imagine how nuts they're going. And yeah, I was there just crumpy, had a nibble off four and you just, I mean, you're like a coiled spring at the start. And I was so determined to make it. I felt good that night. I really, you know, when you're in that situation and, Yes, I was a good rider, but I, I did struggle mentally with some of it. I, I didn't believe in myself enough. Um, so it wasn't, uh, didn't happen in, for me in enough times where I genuinely knew that I could win and, and in myself could. I mean, we can all talk in front of a camera and say, yeah, yeah, I can win. And, uh, but, you know, saying it and feeling it are two different things. And, and that night I felt I could have won it. I felt good on the bike. I felt quick and... And I just, I guess all those little things together and I was just that split second too early and it's like, oh, you know, that would have been, oh, to have won that would have been amazing, but it didn't happen. So, um, yeah, gutted. And, and it's interesting you, you mentioned the mental side of it because it's often said that, you know, a lot of Speedway is obviously having a, a good engine underneath you, but a lot of it is being mentally prepared for when you, you roll up to that tape and that sort of 60 seconds of, of adrenaline filled power that you're going to go around and hope that no idiot behind you skittles you and spears you and, and sort of, you know, trying to get round without any sort of disaster really, isn't it? It is. And, you know, when you're on your game and things mentally are all in place, those things don't pop into your head, you know, that you, you, you're not even thinking about any other rider, what they might do that, you know, when you think about other riders making mistakes or things happening, that's when you're not hundred percent confident and feeling good in yourself because you're thinking about other things. I mean, to be honest, for me, the most of the times in more so in league racing, um, but when I've felt and when I feel really good and I'm, I'm confident and I'm comfortable on the bike, 
I don't even think about the race at all. Um, I'll be on the track and I'll be thinking all sorts of random thoughts. I could be thinking what I'm going to eat. I could think about <laughs> I can. What am I going to do at the weekend? Or is there a movie I want to watch? I mean, it's just you're on autopilot. <laughs> it's quite weird. And people go, what? But, you know, it's like, well, you don't think about driving a car when you're driving a car, do you? So for yeah. us, it's something we're so used to doing. Um, but, yeah, it, it is, you're 100% right. A, a massive, at that level, a massive part of it is is to do with the confidence and the mental aspect. And, you know, one ride that pops out is, you know, Mashek Yanofsky. I mean, he's an unbelievably talented rider, but it seems towards the end of the season, there's just that little bit sort of creeps in and it just kind of just, he kind of just trips on the final hurdle almost, you know, he's got all the tools there, but, you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like it's just a, a tiny little mental aspect that perhaps holds him back a little bit. Yeah, it's similar to people like Lee Adams, who, who was by far one of the greatest riders, I think, that the sport's ever seen, but never seemed to to just get over that that final hurdle. So there are there are riders like that, aren't there? Definitely, yeah, there is. I mean, it's you know you can have all the talent in the world, but when you're at that level, it's you know you're talking your one percent, and that's what the difference can be. Well, there was certainly a difference in in 2007, Scott, because you captained the team who pretty much if we thought that 2005 was a success um i mean 2007 takes it up to to another level and and again you were surrounded by people that you'd ridden with uh, in the previous few years you had billy jay had bomber rory returned to the club um and things seemed to click again with a the introduction of a, a wily old australian guy midway through the <laughs> season who i remember when we signed him i think a lot of the fans were thinking well, it's Jono, you know, he's great, it'll be good for a laugh in the bar and stuff, but but what's he going to give? But actually, he just seemed to to be that missing cog that just meant that the whole the whole squad really just sort of improved their game and, and we only lost a couple of matches for the last sort of four or five months of the season. Yeah, no question. Um, and you know, and, I, and, and because Jono's that character, because he's the joker and, and he, he is a proper joker, people didn't give him enough credit for the, the effort he actually put in. Um, you know, he would work hard in the workshop. I, I've witnessed it myself. Um, he took his job very, very serious. And I think that's the thing. He, um, you know, he had this, uh, this front of being a proper joker and, and, you know, charismatic guy who was funny and liked to have a drink. Um, but he took his racing serious and, and, and he, and he was serious when you're there. I mean, in the pits, you'd have a laugh and a joke and, I mean, a bit like Billy Jay, um, would have fun. Um, but that's that's what kind of helps the team tick along, you know. Um, but when the job's got to be done and when we knew the business end was coming, that they would still have their personality, but they'd be, okay, let's let's get down to business and, and do it. And and again, a bit like in 05 when they made the changes, it's those little things that make you click as a unit and, and it delivers on the track and you inspire each other and you, and you push each other and you help each other on and off the track. And, and when all those things fall into place, you have a season like 07. And towards the end of 07, it, it seemed that every single week we were riding Swindon in some kind of competition or, or trophy. And, and the, the Swindon track was, again, one that you'd end up having as your home circuit uh, a few years after. Um, but we just seemed to to turn up down at Swindon on numerous occasions that year and, and just just seemed to just match them, whereas normally we'd get there and, and walk away with quite heavy defeat as a club. Um, we seem to just be able to nullify the Lee Adams threat and, and take care of the rest. 
Yeah, and you know what? And that, that all comes from from being a strong unit and and you it's hard to explain. Well, I'll try and explain it, hopefully it comes across, but you build confidence in the team and as a team you become confident, you grow in confidence and, and you carry that with you. Um, you know, I've seen it so many times in, in Speedway before that you go to a track and, and they're, they're dominant at home and, and when they're dominant at home they can that carries that confidence and, and energy with you and and that's what's happened, you know, you go there, you know, the other teams look at you going, Jesus Christ, Coventry have just won their last five meetings on the bounce and they hammered so-and-so the other night and, oh God, so-and-so's gone. And, the, you know, and the other teams don't see a weak link in there. Um, and, you know, if every rider scores seven points, you're going to win every meeting. Mm. Um, so it's not about having, you know, one rider go out and get 18 points. If, if you've got no backup, then that's no good. And I think that's what happens is that, with the fun and with the banter and with the camaraderie you build with yourselves, it, it builds a confidence as well, which then translates onto the track. And like you said, that's why we can roll up at Swindon, which is a track that we're very, a team that were very, very strong at home. Um, but that, that year we, we, we held our own and, and gave them a run for their money. And, and in one of the, the previous episodes, Scott, I caught it with Roscoe, who obviously at the time thought that he'd built a, a league win inside that seed for Swindon, but even he was sort of just amazed at how well the, the seven clicked and, and how no matter what he threw at us, even in the final when they, they brought a small lead up here, that we just blew them away midway through the meeting and, and picked up three fabulous trophies and uh, and a treble that will ever go down in, in the history of the club. Yeah, I mean, uh, to get a treble is, doesn't happen very often, does it? You know, I was fortunate to do it with Ipswich in 98. It was a long while before. Um, yeah, you know, and Roscoe's been around. Um, he was a rider and he's been around as a team manager. And like you said, um, on paper, he perhaps on paper had a stronger team. But if they don't click and if they don't connect on the track, then you, you're not, you can still get good results, but you're not going to win the title and you're not going to win the treble. And, and uh, that was just highlighted with, with Coventry, um, how we worked as a, as a team. And that wasn't just the riders, it was the whole package. It was you know, Colin and Peter and Sandu and everybody all pulled together. Um, you, you saw what it was like. Um, you know, you saw how we were. And, and you know, when, when you do interviews afterwards and things like that, the, the energy and the confidence comes through in those as well. And, and throughout that season, uh, Rory and Chris both said the same. They felt that the, that the three of you who were all vying to try and keep the number one race jacket it actually benefited the team because you although you were doing it from a team perspective and you weren't going out to try and you know knock each other off or anything you you were all trying to get that number one race jacket and that meant that the, the team were going to succeed with with three of you banging in big points definitely it's a competitive uh it's a rivalry that benefits the team like like you just said i think it's you know you can only really you can only ever have one number one and if you've got you know, three riders that are all capable of being that rider and, and, and want to be that rider. Like you said, as long as you keep it in check and, and you don't step over the line, um, yeah, it's great for the team. You know, there, there's times where one will always be slightly quicker than the other, um, but it can push the other one on and, and can sometimes make the other one dig, dig in because they're like, well, I'm supposed to be number one, you know. Or um, And like I said, it benefits the team. And it's not just about number one, you know, that will happen in the second string and that will happen with the reserves, you know, everybody's 
sometimes you know in a team they, they're trying to better themselves um, or they, they're trying to outdo someone else but I think um, there was a competitive rivalry there but I think we we had such a good team spirit that it never got out of hand and and I know I'm I'm just moving away from from commentary for a minute but you mentioned obviously you know the second time you'd been involved in the treble um, as a young Brit you know coming through the ranks in the late 90s what was it like pulling up every week to ride in, in a team with Thomas and Tony and, and Chris Louie. I mean, it must have been a, a bit like, you know, starstruck, I guess, in your early days. But what did you learn that helped you in your career from just riding against those guys weekly for, for a season? Oh, it was, was, yeah, I mean, I was in awe of them. I mean, Tony was, you know, for me, I think Tony's kind of the goat of Speedway. And to be around those guys, I mean, man, if I made Heat 15, I knew I'd had a bloody good night because <laughs> you know, for those guys there, it was like, oh, yeah, you've scored 11 points from your first four rides, but no, you're not in Heat 15. Like, what? Um, it was, you know, the thing is, is that I didn't, I didn't learn an awful lot in respect of because they're ultra professional and they were, they were on their game. They were, they were fighting for a world championship. So it's not like they're going to have time to go around and, and, you know, help the second string and, and stuff. So it was more of an observational point where I'd learn anything. Um, but it was just from, you know, the professionalism. And they were all very different about how they went about things. So it was quite interesting that you could sort of try and pick up the little things from one, you know, you go, oh, I, might, I like the way he does that and I like the way he does that. Um, but again, when you said about the competitive rivalry, you know, those guys were, they were fighting to be world champion, uh, but also wanting to show who was number one in the team. And you could see that coming through that, you know, it'd be team riding, but sometimes you could see the one in second place was just showing a wheel every now and again, just to kind of like, I'm quicker than you um, for a bit of bragging rights. But it just pushes them on and, and and makes the team successful. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hugely honoured to have been part of two treble winning teams and, and being part of the Ipswich team in 98 was something that was really cool at the time. And, I was really proud of we, you know, we had a mayor's reception and things like that, which doesn't happen in Speedway very often at all. Um, but it was a kind of mixed emotion as well, really, because I knew before the season had ended that I was loving, you know, being a part of this team and, and being my my local team. But I knew that I wanted to move away as well at the end of that year that I needed to spread my wings. So that had a totally different feel to it, not just because I was younger, but to when I won the trouble Coventry because it was with Coventry I won it and it was kind of I knew I wanted to be there more long term so um, yeah both very special but in different ways and and just picking up something you mentioned about Tony Sean Tacey who obviously you know very well um, yeah. when I spoke to Sean he was saying how he, he got a booking at Ipswich to ride in a pairs meeting at the end of the season uh, and he rocked up and found that he was paired with Ricardson so he thought here we go we've got a chance of winning this Um and he said Tony was testing engines all night and scored two points <laughs> and they didn't even make the final. He was fuming. He said he thought that was going to be the highlight of his season. And uh, and Tony was testing for the GPs and literally poodled around at the back. He said Sean was raging. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I can yeah. imagine that, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I mean, end of 2007, you've picked up the, the, the treble, um, but then you moved away. Um, uh, how did that come about? Was that something that you... You wanted again, you, you, you'd hit something good and wanted to move on and try something different. How did the move to Eastbourne come about? Uh, no, I was, um, yeah, I wasn't a happy bunny at all. I wanted to stay. And and as far as I was aware, I was staying. Um, but then there was, uh, 
I don't remember if there was a, a points limit change or something, but I can, I can picture exactly where I was in my house when Colin had to make the phone call. It wasn't Colin's decision. Um, obviously, I won't go into details about who and how it came about, but no, I wasn't happy bunny. It was um, kind of, it came down between me and one other rider and, and uh, there was kind of, I guess, external influences, if I could say that, would yeah. make sense as to how it came about. Um, so no, I, I was I was gutted, um, and also as a factor that came so late on, uh, all the other teams were pretty much done and dusted. I was like, seriously, thanks. You know, I, I remember staying in my bedroom going, well, okay, well, what's happened there? I I, I did have quite a heated discussion with the other person that was involved. Uh, mm. You know, just to say like I understand that these things happen and, 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 um, you know, there's not always room, but we've, we've done a deal and, and you're now backtracked on it. Um, so no, I, I wasn't happy at all. I certainly didn't want a year away. Um, I was been, you know, I wanted to stay at commentary. I'd had three happy years there and, and I would have been happily, would have been happy to have had more. Um, so, but fortunately, if I remember correctly, I think Sigelski was supposed to be going to Eastbourne. And uh, I think it was Sigelski or somebody was supposed to be going there and there was a problem with, uh, I don't know if it was with a visa or, or something. And, and obviously they, they needed a number one. Um, so, so I went down to Eastbourne. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I loved it down there. I had a, you know, it's a track I enjoy. I like Eastbourne. It's a cool track. And again, you know, East, Eastbourne's a really kind of... Um, quite a unique club it's a it's a real fan it's almost like a family you know it's kind of yeah. you're either in the mold or you're not and um, <laughs> it was so yeah and I, I got on well with all the people down at Eastbourne I had done for a long time um so yeah it was it was a fun year I enjoyed my time at Eastbourne we didn't win the league but we won the cup down there as well but no I, I wasn't happy to leave Coventry at all and and you, you, you like you mentioned, you had the, the year down at Eastbourne, and and recently, obviously, we've had the sad news with with the passing of John Cook, who you know was heavily involved down there, and a, another great loss to the sport. Um, and and you returned back to to Brandon for a short stint the year after, but then it'd be a whole three years again before you'd you'd come back to the club. And and at that point, I think we as fans knew that um, something wasn't quite right. Sandu had had obviously moved on. Mick Horton had come in, and. Uh, at the start of the season, 2011, both Coventry and Peterborough might not be back at the tapes. And did you sort of, when you were riding there, did, did the place feel any different to what to when you were there a few years before? It did, sadly. Um, I know this is the memories of Coventry and we all want to have good memories and, and stuff like that, but I'm an honest person and I'll say it how it was. Um, it just was never, ever the same when Sandu left. Um, it kind of, the track, you know, the track is still the same and I still enjoyed the track and the fans were still the same. But even the fans, it just didn't seem to have the same buzz, didn't seem to have the same energy uh, that it did when, when Sandu was there and Pratty. And I think, like I said, right at the outset of this thing, it's about things that go on up sometimes off the track as well that help and, and, and you build a, a respect. And it's not just because and it's not just because someone is going to pay you £10 more or, or do this for you or do that for you. It's it's a respect that you have by somebody's actions. It's not just, I'm not talking financial actions. I'm talking about how they are, what they do. Um, and that was something that Sandu had and delivered to the team. And it was a very um, methodical team. Colin was very methodical with the way the team was run and how it was, 
how it was done. You know, you every meeting you got your pay sheet and what you you know what you're going to be paid, and you were paid on this date and everything. You just knew that you know if there's meeting changes, it was a very organised, proper run ship. Um, and and sadly, you know, I'm not speaking bad about Mick, but when he came, it was just it was disaster. It was like, you didn't know what was going on and things would change and, and you weren't communicated with. And, you know, uh, and we did the best we could on the track. And, and I certainly did because it's my name, my reputation on the line, but um, there wasn't the same respect. And, and no, it was, um, I, I enjoyed my time there, but then there was a point where I was like, I, I, I just don't want to be under this management anymore. I don't, you know, I, it was sad because I wanted to be at Coventry. I wanted to be part of it, but it didn't feel the same anymore. Yeah. And, and as sadly, as a result, I was like, I'm moving on. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm fortunate to race a motorcycle as a job, but it's no fun when you're not enjoying the people you're around and, and you're not enjoying your racing. It's a bloody hard and horrible job when that happens. And so um, I kind of went, I came back, but it just wasn't the same. And, and and the honesty, Scott, that you've you've just shown there. I mean, it, as a supporter, um, you know, we could sense that that things were beginning to to wane, and and you know, the stadium started to look a little bit tired and and a bit old, and you know, there was meetings probably called off that shouldn't have been, and and it just didn't feel like the commentary way, if that makes sense. Um, so so we fully get where, where you're coming from. Um, one of the the big highlights, though, that towards the end of your B's career was uh, yet another. British title, your seventh and, and the third that you picked up while riding in the Beast Colours. And and I know that you're often introduced, as I did earlier, as seven-time British champion. It, it's something that that you know you're, you're still immensely proud of, even even lifting just one. But to get seven, you must be you must be really proud of. Oh, massively! And I think as well that the I can't remember if it, <laughs> I can't remember if it was the, the sixth one or the seventh one. Um, but one of the it might have been the sixth, but was you know they're all special in their own way, but. No, it would have been the seat when I was at Swindon because I was having a shocker of a year. And, and when I won that British final, I can remember just the feeling I felt because it was, I was having a tough year and, and mentally I was beating myself up. And, and it was one of those ones where you literally go, yeah, you can still do it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, seven and to have done it. Was it three, did you say, in Coventry Colours? Yeah, three when you're riding for the club. Yeah, um... so, yeah that, that, that's, that's good. It's something I'm, I'm hugely proud of. And... Yeah, and, and yeah, I remember being kind of paraded around before the meeting um, at Coventry, and like you said, it was uh, it was a pretty special feeling to to go around in front of the fans and and to to receive their applause. And and your your B's career, final season of the club was, was twenty thirteen, and then a couple of years after that, the the old girl was was closed. Um, what what's your What's your overriding sort of memories of, of the stadium um, and your time riding for the club? Uh, always, you know, the winning the the um, the treble, uh, winning the, I mean, the first one in 05, that was special for me because it was, you know, like I said, I came in, there was a, you know, quite a lot of hype about me going there in 05. Um, just funny little things you remember, you know, like the, the big, you know, uh, the big monster truck we'd go around on. That's pretty unique. There's not many clubs <laughs> have that as a, a parade truck. Um, and, and the fans, you know, the the one the meetings against Bellevue when they had the, the, the Manchester or Mancunia Mexicans, wherever it was, and they'd come down with their sombreros and there was 
you know, water being chucked around. I mean, that, that was fun, but a couple of times they got a bit heated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, funny things like that. It's It was, you know, it just the introductions, you know, with, with Yorkie where he'd always take the mix, I'd say one and three and things like that. It's, it's a lot of the little bits and pieces that, you remember and, and certain fans and, and, and certain things. Um, dressing rooms, I don't know if Rory revealed this, but it's quite funny. And we talked about Billy Gennaro, but uh, Rory had this massive bloody kit bag. It was this Scott kit bag and it was huge. And we kept saying to him, like, Jesus Christ, Rory, can't you get a smaller bag? And he's, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> One night, him in, they put him in the bag and zipped him up in it. <laughs> Yeah, he, he mentioned that. He said he couldn't, but he didn't think he'd ever do it. He said he kept, they kept moaning at me. He said, but I didn't think they'd do it. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he said, I'm headfirst in this bag and, yeah. and trying to get out. And and it's, I guess it's team spirit like that, that you mentioned, you mentioned it sort of, for you, it's more the behind the scenes side of a club that you're going to ride for and the, the respect and the loyalty that you're shown rather than, rather than the pay packet. And, and I guess team spirit comes into that. It does. You know, like that, that was funny. There would be, you know, it'd be just funny little things, like just random things, you know. It was always in the change rooms, you'd sort of, you know, joke around about fighting over who was in what spot. I mean, we all had our designated spot in the change rooms and things like that. And, you know, like just little warm-up exercise, just funny things. And I was always, it was kind of just a bit of a ritual that, like, I was always last at the change room. Bomber was one before me. He would go out and then I'd walk out change room last. It was just, you know, you kind of just had these little things that just, they were part of it. They were part of the process and, you know, it was, it was part of Coventry Speedway. So, um, you know, I do miss it. And, uh, you know, I know that Jeff Davies and a lot of the other people are working exceptionally hard to, to, to see if we can save Coventry Speedway. And I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic and very hopeful that that can happen. Um, and who knows before, before my boots are well and truly hung up, it'd be cool to, to see if I could get round there again. So definitely keep my fingers crossed that they, they can save it there. Well, what an amazing start that would be, Scott. And and let's just finish on on your season for this year. So you, you've pretty much done the full circle because you're you're back with Chris at Peterborough um this year and, and certainly with a a team that is packed with experience with Hans and Ulrich and, and a few of the others. And I, I don't think you guys would be far off and end of season silver. I really don't. I think you've got an opportunity similar to to 05 and 07 where you'll be pretty much strong throughout yeah definitely i mean yeah it's proper full circle for me like i said it was um back to where i started in 94 mm. um and it is we have a, a hugely experienced team um and i think that will they will have there'll be certain aspects where that will shine through um we're experienced but at the same time you know we'll see the moves that you know bomber pulls off and hands and and stuff like that. So we can still mix it with the best of them. But I think that experience will come through. I think we, we've definitely got a, a team that's got strength and depth. Um, yeah, there's some other teams out there that look, look pretty strong. But what did we say at the beginning of the show? Coventry didn't necessarily look the strongest on paper, but they clicked and gelled. And if we can do the same at Peterborough, then, then who knows? And I guess you'll be hoping that Hans pulls the moves off on the opposition because obviously over the years, you guys have had a, a couple of uh, interesting <laughs> run-ins on the track, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of better with teammates than against each other. Hey? Um, no, we did. We we had some proper run-ins, and um, but you know, it's it's, it's respect. And uh, we were young, and sometimes you step over the line. And I think every rider's got every rider's got a rider that they seem to kind of have a little bit of a like almost like a magnet. You're drawn to them 
Um, doesn't necessarily mean you don't like them, but sometimes it just happens that there seems to be a rider that you have this quite a fierce rivalry with, and, and Hans was one for a few years. Um, but that's all in the past. We're in the same team and we get on and uh, we'll do the best we can to, to try and deliver some silverware for the Panthers this year. And I guess your, your Kent role, Scott, is probably a little bit different in terms of being the, the, the experience going there with a, a youthful team, but one that obviously the new venture has been delayed there by 12 months, but something that you'll hopefully get your, your first home match in soon and, and see what it's like down there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, it's fair to say I've been around for a few years, so um, <laughs> for me to go to a track that I've never seen before is pretty exciting, and for that to be my home track, it's another challenge for me to, to make that my own. And I am. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I've, I've ridden with most of the guys in the team, and that they're, we've got a good team. Um, no, we're not the strongest on paper. Um, we're certainly not the weakest. I think you know, there's a couple of standout teams in that league. But who knows? Who knows how the season's going to pan out? You know, um, all riders have their their ups and downs, and if we can be solid, um, I, I, you know, we can mix it up definitely. I think we've got a team that can can do the business. So for me, it's about enjoying it, enjoying my racing, being grateful for what what's what i think i think the year we've had with the pandemic in 2020 i think that's certainly um highlighted a lot of a lot of positives that people can take out of life and i think people have assessed things slightly differently so um it was a proper crappy time but there's always a positive you can take well scott thanks so much for, for you giving up your time to talk to me uh, i know it's been a uh... Although there's been a few rain-offs, it's, it's still a busy time for any speedo rider around this time of year. So thanks so much for your time. I My will pleasure. catch up with you in the restaging of the... I've got the ticket already because it was rained off. Sheffield, Peterborough will be up there in July. Um, but uh, thanks so much for sharing your memories. You are you do go down in the history books as one of the most decorated captains in, in the club's history, alongside people like Ollie Olsen, Tommy Nudson. So, you know, you're, you're very highly regarded by everybody at, at Brandon and... Uh, Let's hope that you uh, continue taking that checkered flag a few more times this year. And I'm sure you'll get plenty of Beast fans over at, at Peterborough when that eventually kicks off. Um, and, and you, you know, certainly the memories, you're, you're down in the record books, mate. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. No worries. Thank you.